welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, especially if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're honored that you would choose to spend this Sunday morning worshiping uh, with us. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before um, and you have time afterwards, I would love to meet you. So if you have time to stick around, I would love to just meet you face to face and say hello. We're continuing on in the book of um, John, the Gospel of John, and we're getting close to the end of the book, and we find ourselves in this, this important uh, farewell discourse that Jesus is, is giving to his disciples in John 14 through 17. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, I just ask as we dig into your word this morning that we would understand that it is um, you revealing yourself to us. And through the power of the Spirit living in us and through the Word, I pray that it would change us, that the Word would change our minds, would change our hearts, and would change the way we live when we leave this place. And these wouldn't be Jeremy's words up here coming out of my mouth, but they would be um, powerful and, 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 and um, empowered by the Spirit as we are looking at your Word in the Gospel of John, Lord. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So last week um, was, was part, really part one in a kind of a little two-part series on the, the chapter 15 in the book of John. And we talked a lot of last week about this idea. I began the sermon talking about kind of our purpose, leaving a legacy that as human beings, we all, when we're at the end of our life looking back, we really want to bear fruit. We want to bear fruit. We want to know that we've left a legacy. That's just kind of hardwired into our human nature. And we know that Jesus here, he's, he has his final moments with his 11 disciples, the closest people to him on earth. He knows it's just hours away before he would go to the cross, uh, he'd be arrested, tortured, put on a cross, and put to death in that way. And it's coming, and he knows it's coming, so he's got these last few precious hours with his disciples before he would go to the cross. Now, you would see him again once he was brought back from the dead, resurrected, but before his death, he really wanted to communicate these things to his disciples. And it's got me thinking because a couple of weeks ago, I had the, um, I, was, I was asked to do a funeral, officiate a funeral on uh, behalf of my, my uncle passed away, and the family wanted me to do his funeral. And this is an uncle I was, I was fairly close to. And one of the things that I had the opportunity to hear from was the family in, in the days after he passed before the funeral was the things that he told them in those final days. I can imagine the weight of those words coming out of his mouth and then the weight of the family receiving those words as they knew her, their dad, grandpa, husband was about to pass away. And so this is, this is kind of the, 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 the heaviness, the weightiness we need to imagine the disciples receiving Jesus' words. So he's trying to capture everything in these moments. And today, we're going to see Jesus really reminding them of how he's changed them. And he's trusting that the three years of ministry he's done with them and the teaching and the modeling and, and, and the miracles and all the things that they've seen, that they would actually be changed as a result of following him for these three years. The, I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but two of my favorite movies, and I think because they're set up this way and they're very inspiring, are um, The Gladiator and Braveheart. 
They came out in, 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 in close to same same uh, period of time, probably 20, 25 years ago now. And both these movies, the, the, the hero dies a death at the end of the movie, and he has final words in both cases for his followers. And those followers are changed so much, not only from the life that the, the leader modeled for them, but even the words inspired them as they were um, dying. And then in both cases, his disciples, the followers in both those movies, carried on the cause of the leader, even though he was not around anymore. Similar thing happened to, to, to Jesus in this moment, although Jesus is going to come back from the dead. But it's the same type of feeling and weight that he wants the disciples to take these words and apply them and live them out. And this, this kind of idea, this mission that Jesus gives them is something we've tried to build our church off of. And we, our mission statement is going to be right here. Providence Road exists to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. And the words that Jesus tells his disciples in this particular part of John 15 is directly in line with what we want to see God do through Providence Road. Okay? So this is a good kind of overview of our church and really what, what our heartbeat is but it's also looking at this text as well. So last week, two of the verses we looked at were John 15, 5, and 6. Let me read these as, as a bit of a review here. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And we looked at how Jesus calls us to abide. Abide is the command. And he brings some warning with that because he, he talks about these branches, the ones that bear fruit and the ones who don't. The ones who don't bear fruit, he's, he, uh, he's, he's saying he takes them away, they're thrown out. There's a warning there. There's some, there's some seriousness with what, which Jesus is talking about here. But he tells his disciples in this passage and through the scriptures, us in here, those of us who have faith in Jesus can trust in him because we've been cleansed. Jesus says last week in verse 3, 15 verse 3, we've been cleansed, we've been made right, we've been made whole, and because of that, we should remain in him, abide in him, so that we can bear fruit. And the Holy Spirit does this, but we cooperate, what we talked about last week, by being aware of this, keeping our eyes set on him, building in the practices in our lives, the spiritual practices, the disciplines that allow us to still Keep that on our minds. Keep that on the forefront of our minds, this idea of abiding. And I'll just say this, those of us, maybe you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe um, you're a guest this morning and you're still trying to figure out this faith or you've got hurts from the church and don't really care about God. I'll just say that I believe that every human being abides in something. We want to connect ourselves to something, whether it's a person, a cause, a belief system, in order to get things that we all want, joy, Freedom, value, identity, acceptance. This is the human way. We will attach. You are attaching yourself to something right now. The question is, what are you attaching yourself to? What kind of fruit is it producing in your life? Is it the fruit that Jesus desires to produce in the follower of, of his lives? Here's, so here's the thesis really of today. It's God's love. God's love changes us so we can go change the world. God's love changes us so we can go change the world. Very simple. And through abiding, that, that this passage is about, God's love produces three things in us. We're going to see three things that he produces in us. And then we're going to 
See, those things lead to the God producing three, three things through us, okay? So two sets of three, okay? That's going to how, that's kind of the roadmap for the morning, but we have to start with the love, the love that Christ shows us. Look at verse nine. This is a short verse in this passage, but I feel like we, we can move by it so quick. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Let's not skip over that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This should overwhelm us. The same way that God the Father loves God the Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus says, in the same way that I've received love from God the Father, now I am loving you with the same love. This is mind-boggling. This is mind-blowing when we think about it. And we need to stop and think about how good that is for us. Because we see throughout the scriptures how much God the Father loved God the Son. And it continues. It says, abide in my love. The end of verse 9. And then verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We can rest in his love for us, all the while keeping his commandments. Notice the order here. God, lo- God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves us so we can abide, so we can remain in him. The ver- then verse 10, the way we experience that love or the abiding is by keeping his commandments, right? Abiding in him by keeping my commandments. And we continue in this state and, and experience the love of the Father, the love of the Son by abiding. And we do that through keeping his commandments, right? This is the same thing Jesus did. Jesus remained in the Father's love through his obedience. Listen to John 8, 29. It's the verse we read a few months ago. And he who sent me is with me. This is, he's speaking of God the Father. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him, a.k.a. I keep his commandments. There's a level of obedience there. And because of this, because when we experience this, Jesus tells us we can make ourselves at home with him. We can relax. Jesus, throughout this whole passage, he's saying, through the Spirit, I come, I'm dwelling inside of you. I'm uniting myself to you. I'm living with you. I'm making my home with you. And imagine a home that Jesus has that he's welcoming us into. We can relax. We can take our shoes off, kick our feet up, whatever imagery you want to use. We can rest knowing that we're in his home, in his house, and he loves us. And these are the sources, these are, these are the, the wells that we tap into to love others, right? God's love, that we, we're going to need God's love to fulfill the commands that he's going to give us here in a moment. He is the source. He is the well that we, that we, that we take from to go out into a love-parched world, a love-starved world with the gospel. We must draw deep from this well of the Father's love for the Son. God's love produces fruit in us. And here's the first thing it produces. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. By remaining in me, by producing fruit through your obedience, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What is this idea of glory or giving God glory mean? This is an important word, right? It's in our mission statement. It's just magnifying who God is. It's, it's 
trying to, trying to show the world, show the people around you who God really is in his full person. Now, we don't ever do this perfectly, but when we say we want to give glory to God, we're saying, I want you to see who God truly is through my words, my actions, my attitudes, my attitude, whatever it is. So when we bear fruit, he is seen as he truly is. This is why bearing fruit is so important. That's why Jesus spends this whole chapter on bearing fruit. Um, listen to Leslie Newbegin, how he says this. By their love for one another, the disciples will glorify the Father. Because this love is the manifestation in the life of the world, of that love which binds the Father and the Son. It is, in fact, the fruit of the true vine. Again, connecting the love that the Father has for the Son, connecting that to our ability to bear fruit and glorify the Father. So the first thing it produces is the ability to glorify God inside of us. The second thing it produces, verse 8, there it is at the end. So you prove to be my disciples, right? It's, it's kind of a, it's confirmation that we're disciples of him. And this is obviously important for God's glory, but it's even, I think, more important for us. How many of you in this room have doubts? You ever doubt your faith? You ever doubt like not knowing what you should know or not living how you should live? Or maybe there's some issues in the Bible you have that you're not fully on board with and you, you know, you're worried that is this all true? Is this all like I do, right? I'm sure all of us in this room have had doubts. So what this is saying is that we, as we are obedient to the commands. As we bear fruit, there's this internal confidence or confirmation that we get that, yes, you're one of his. Yes, you're a disciple. And we know this through just experience, right? Those of you, when you're out, when you've done ministry or, 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 or God's used you in a situation, maybe you're counseling someone and the right words just flow out of you and it's helpful to the other person, that feels good. That's confidence that you're one of his disciples, Maybe when you go on a mission trip and you're out of like your comforts here and God uses you in special ways, right? That gives confidence that you're a disciple of his, right? Maybe you've, you've taken a risk and you shared your faith and he just kind of provided the words you needed to say in the moment, right? This is the confidence that we get by being a follower of Jesus. And that's why bearing fruit, being obedient, actually leads back into, flows back into the, the fact that we get confidence Especially when doubt comes, this is so, so important. Think in verse 8, think of the ambition here. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now this is really tapping into our ambition. We should have ambition as followers of Jesus. Sometimes that word has a negative um, connotation to it. And it can be negative, but as long as our ambition is to see God's fruit be produced through us, in us and through us, that's a good thing. That is something to be ambitious about. Maybe some of you in here need to be more ambitious that God would use you, more of a risk taker, more of walking into spaces that are uncomfortable so that God can show up only how he can show up. So there's some ambition here that God, that Jesus is giving his disciples in this moment. But this ambition is aimed at healthy fruit. He's not calling the disciples to make much of themselves, or to build their own little kingdoms, he's telling them to bear his fruit, right? The fruit of multiplication of disciples, the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced inside of them, that list in Galatians 5 we looked at last week. Right? This is the kind of ambition we should have as disciples. Another way to read 
verse eight is that in order to be fruitful, in order to be fruitful disciples, we need to be discipled by Jesus. We need to give ourselves to the discipleship process if we're going to be fruitful. And that as we're fruitful, it actually feeds back into that loop and it makes us um, stronger and more mature disciples. So it's circular, this idea of bearing fruit and giving our lives to, the, to be discipled under um, the person of Jesus. Okay? So Jesus' love produces glory to God, and we are given confidence that we are his disciples. So those are the first two things it produces. Lastly, it produces in us joy. Look at verse 11. These things, and this could be like everything that Jesus has spoken of in this conversation. So this can go back away. All of these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Not this external joy, but he's actually putting joy in us through our union with him. We have joy, and that joy should be full. It should be big. Think of it a container. There's no more you can fit in that container. It is full. And I think the Westminster Confession um, says this really well, connects glory to joy. This is kind of a popular um, kind of catechism question is question one in the shorter catechism. It's this. It says, what is the chief end of man or what is the purpose of man? The answer, man's chief end or man's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy there, obviously root word of enjoy is joy, right? So when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, when he calls us to follow him, he's not calling us to a lifetime of misery or just Oh, just, just, just grinding it out, obedience day after day. No. He's not calling us to joyless living. He's calling it. He wants to make our home with us, and he wants to give us joy, and he wants to give us that joy in full. But there is a way to experience more of that joy, which is exactly what we're talking about today, to abide, to remain, to obey, to realize how we're united to him. When we abide, when we remain, we receive joy. We all want more joy, right? As human beings, we are joy chasers. We chase after joy in, in whatever way we think is going to bring us joy. We're going to pursue that. You got to name anything, probably 50 things in, uh, represented in this room, where you're the potential to chase after joy. But the true joy, the fullness of joy, the joy that comes from God the Father can only be found in Jesus. Listen to Frederick Bruner from his commentary. Jesus apparently believes that the unique need for joy that each of us has will find maximum satisfaction when we are wanting to make our home with Jesus and wanting to keep his commands. Jesus wants our joy, not our heaviness, our peace and relaxation, which are the clearest accompaniments of joy, not grinding of teeth. I can find joy in Jesus' commands only when I can believe that he is satisfied. Indeed, very often, honestly feel that we do not really measure up, right? And this, 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 this abiding also leads to freedom, kind of going back to our church's mission statement. Listen to John 8, the continuation of that verse I read earlier. Verse 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, here's this word abide again, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. The truth found in the Bible, the truth found in Jesus, will set you free. If you abide in my word. 
There's that if there, right? If you remain connected to me, if you experience me, if you pursue me, if you strive to know me, if you spend time with me, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus' love for us that came from the Father produces in us glory for God, confidence, and joy. Those are the things that this passage is saying that it's producing in us. Now, what is it producing through us? Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The first one is love. We'll come back and talk briefly about it here in a second. Verse 13, greater love than, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. If you look at verse 12 there, that, that this, this, whole, um, this whole verse is, is interesting in, in the original language, right? When he says, this is my commandment, um, there's, there's a, there's a, that, that my place before the commandment makes it even stronger. So it could be read like this, even though it's kind of um, strange. It says, my very special command. So what Jesus, Jesus is, is highlighting that this command is kind of extra special here saying, my very special command. And then at the end of verse 12, when it says that you love one another as I have loved you, that as can be also translated from. So you should love each other as from the love that I have shown you. So again, that Jesus is the source of the love with which we love other people. And then he uses the word friend here. He uses the word friend. Jonathan Edwards, speaking about this idea of friend, he says this, God in Christ allows such little poor creatures as you are to come to him, to have communion with him, and to maintain a communication of love with him. You may go to God and tell him how you love him and open your heart, and he will accept of it. He has come down from heaven, and he has taken upon him the human nature in purpose that he might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. So he uses, again, love is what he's producing through us, but he uses this picture of friendship to to help us understand it more. And we see in verses 14 and 15 in this, back in the the 12, uh, yeah, the 12 through 15 passage, in 14 and 15, um, he says that they're they're, they're different now because he's calling them friends. They're not not slaves, they're not servants, they're not even um, students underneath the teaching of a rabbi. They are now friends. And he's made things known to them. Think about this. In in verse 14, you you are my friends if you do what I command. Listen to verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. We can imagine that, right? But I haven't called you friends. For all, for all that I have heard from my father, God the Father, I have made known to you. That's crazy, right? Because he brings them into a closer relationship that he calls friendship, Right now, he has made known to them. He's kind of pulled back the curtain for them, letting them know the purposes of God the Father. What an amazing opportunity for the disciples in that moment. And the good news, we have the same opportunity as well, which we'll get to here in a second. Notice that everything he gives us, we abide. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So the first of the three ways that Jesus' love for us produces through us is by loving each other. Loving each other. Um, Second, two, the second thing we see is in verse 16. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The verbs there are go and bear fruit. Here's the second thing that we're called to do. Jesus' love working through us. So we should, he appoints us that we should go and bear fruit, right? So we're called to bear fruit. We're called to go. We're called to minister. We're called to, to be out there so the Holy Spirit can use us, can do things through us, right? And then the third one, that you should pray. Go back to verse 16 again. So the, the, he says, appointed you so you should go and bear fruit. And here's another that, and that your fruit should abide so that, here's the prayer, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The third thing he does through us is prayer. We pray, right? There's a lot in this, this passage about prayer, that, but we just don't see it because he doesn't use the word pray. But he makes it very clear here in verse 16. The last thing that, that God's, God's love produces in us, Jesus' love produces in us, is that we would pray. That we would pray. Frederick Bruner again says this, A major way Jesus makes his home with his disciples is when his conversation, his words, can find listening friends, can find a home where these words are taken seriously, listened to expectantly, and responded to honestly. Then these listeners, in turn, Jesus promises, can talk with Jesus, we call it prayer, about not just whatever, but more practically about what he has just said to us. This is the essence of good conversation. And then we can talk to Jesus even more strikingly about whatever you want. So let's talk about this, this kind of direction on prayer here. This is a verse that's often misunderstood. And there's really two ditches we can fall into when you hear verses like um, verse, verse uh, 7 we saw um, earlier that says, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Then again in verse 16, we see that he says that, um, So whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So interesting, right? So some people can take this and say, I can ask God for anything. I can ask God for anything. This is often referred to as kind of the name it, claim it movement, right? Um, that I can ask God for whatever I want, he's going to give it to me. He's like a genie in a bottle, right? He, just, he can just produce the wishes, whatever I want. That is not true, right? That is this verse taken out of this context to kind of fit whatever we want. Now, often an overreaction to that, though, is just not asking at all. And I don't want to be that kind of person, so I'm just not going to ask. Or I'm, I'm kind of very hesitant with my asking, that I fail to see that God as a good father. And we know this once again from experience, right? Husbands and wives in here, you've been married for a while. You kind of know after, you know, you kind of know what requests you can make and not make. You know your spouse well enough to know, yeah, this is probably acceptable. Yeah, this is probably not acceptable. I shouldn't ask for this, Right? Because you know how your spouse is going to respond. Once again, the more we abide in Jesus, the more we understand the nature of the Father and we experience the Father. We know some things that we should ask for and some things that we shouldn't, kind of according to who God is and the character um, of, of, uh, of who he is. Another example is, I was thinking this week, is as a dad, I want my boys to not be a, ever to be afraid to ask me for something. Now, sometimes, you know, after I say no the first time, it Parents, amen, like it gets, it gets the, the, the over and over and over and over, right? But I want them to think of me as a generous father. 
I want them to think of me as a daddy who looks forward to giving them things they want and looks forward and actually has the power to give them what they want, right? Um, Especially as, you know, in that three to four-year-old range, they ask them for some crazy stuff and it makes you feel kind of good. It's like, okay, yeah, they think I'm strong enough to provide that. I can't, but it's kind of nice to feel like that. But I never would want my sons to think, ah, I'm afraid to ask for this because I just don't know. And No, ask. Hey, buddy, ask for it. Ask it for me. I may say no, right? But, it, but, but their wants don't always line up with my wants. But if they do, I will, I will, I will give you that, and I will usually give, it, give more than what they're asking for if it lines up for what I want with them. But I take those asks seriously, right? So when we pray and we ask God for things, when we request things from God, we should be bold. We should be bold in asking for things because we have a good father. And if you've remained in him, if you know the scriptures, if you know the character of God, you're probably not going to fall into the ditch of just treating him like a, like a, a genie that can just grant you wishes, right? Sometimes I think we're too scared of that, um, and we, we don't ask for the things we should be asking for. The one last thing I want to touch on here, and I think this should produce some humility in us, is going back to verse 16. The first couple of lines there, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, right? So this idea that Jesus highlights here that he is the one that appoints them. He is the one that chose his disciples, right? He's the one who did that. And he wants to highlight, I think, because you can imagine, right? If you're one of those disciples and you've just been told that, that one, I love you the way the Father loves me, and then also, hey, everything the Father has said to me, given to me, now I'm going to make it known to you. How prideful would you be? Like you're the, you're the 11 people in the world that now know the will of God. You're the 11. You're like, you're, you're way above everyone else because now you've had the curtain pulled back for you. You have inside information. Right? All of us would be tempted to get puffed up, to get arrogant. So again, Jesus comes behind that with verse 16 and says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So you weren't better than everyone else. You weren't morally superior to everyone else. You weren't more popular than everyone else. None of those reasons for why I chose you. He just says, I chose you. It was my will. So don't be prideful. Don't be boastful. Don't get puffed up here, okay? Jesus loves us and chooses us so that we would then go and bear fruit. And he, makes, he wants to make sure that they know um, why he chose them. and has nothing to do with them. It's all to do with his grace. And we know they did bear fruit, right? Through the power of the Spirit, they planted the first churches. This book we're studying from right now is a direct result of the fruit of them being obedient to this command, right? To go and bear fruit. This is John, the Apostle John's fruit that he's bearing. He wrote this gospel, right? The rest of the New Testament written by apostles who were directly um, had this command given to them as well. We owed a debt of gratitude to these 11 apostles, that they were faithful to this command, that they did it. And we are direct benefactors of what they did. They were given another command that we often, is a little bit more popular, called the Great Commission, that they were obedient to. And Providence Road as a church is directly um, benef- beneficiaries of the fact that they were the first church planters. So to review, Jesus' love for us produces glory for God, confidence Enjoy. Those are the things that produce in us. And through us, we're to love one another, we're to go, we're to go and bear fruit, and we're to pray. 
really quickly, just to give you some ideas and love one another. Do something unusual this week, something that you wouldn't normally do for someone that you love this week. Start there. It doesn't have to be big. Just be intentional with how you treat people. Love someone around you in an intentional way this week. Second one, go. Go and bear fruit. I would pay attention to the, what the Spirit's kind of communicating to you. Maybe you need to have that hard conversation with somebody at work about how Jesus has saved you. Be honest about who you are in the workplace, right? In a, in a, in a, in a winsome and loving way, right? In the, in the context of work. Maybe you need to step up more in church and serve or in your gospel community. Maybe using your gifts and being more confident that you can, that you can help lead the GC. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to be more intentional in how you um, create your schedule and your time and, 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 and how are you setting up your practices to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to be a more intentional leader as a mom or dad in your home to, to create up an intentional environment that your, that your kids will be raised up in to disciple them, more intentionality in the home. I don't know what it is, but this is calling us to go and bear fruit. That's a wide command. It could be a lot of different things. And lastly, pray. Pray. Ask God for things. Don't hold back. I'd ask God, especially if it's, in the, if it's in the area of fruit and producing fruit in you or producing fruit through you in the world, make big asks and expect God as a good, good father to, you're not doing it arrogantly or privately, uh, uh, pridefully. You're, you're saying it because you believe he's a good God and he's told us to pray. He's told us to ask him for things. Yeah. Jesus loves us so that we can in turn go love each other. And that is the calling. Let's pray. Father, as we think through your, your word and the scriptures and things you're calling us to do, I, I pray that we, we, we don't forget to remember your love. This comes up over and over and over in this part of John. That your love for broken sinners like everyone in this room is the thing that moves and motivates and gives us an identity and the power to be able to do the things you're calling us to do. And it's a big calling. It's an exciting calling. To be a part of seeing the world change, to seeing people change is a great calling. It's an ambitious calling. But I pray that we would go back to remember that we're cleansed because of your son. And you chose us. We didn't choose you. You chose us that we would go and bear fruit. Why? Because we're not good enough to be chosen. We're not morally superior enough to, be, to stand out in a crowd and be chosen. You choose the weak, the hurting, the broken, the doubting to be the ones to carry your good news and bear fruit. And I pray that would humble us. But I pray that would encourage us, because that could be any of us in this room. So help us believe that. Help us believe your word and live it out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.